From the AFCON final between Senegal and Egypt to domestic cup competitions, we have all seen our share of penalty shootouts in recent weeks and months. They've been at the center of the news cycle, and when everyone rolls around, we all think the same thing. They're a crapshoot, right? Well, wrong. Underneath the surface of a penalty shootout is a psychological spiderweb affecting everybody, from the player standing over the spot to the coach on the touchline. And on today's episode, we'll be breaking down why penalty shootouts are more, much, much more, than just kicking a ball from 12 yards out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tactics Room, presented by Breaking the Lines. I am your host, Will Fowler. So happy to have you all back here for episode 13 of the Tactics Room podcast. We're doing things a little bit different today, and you'll quickly understand why, because we're not discussing football itself, but rather some of the 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 more sight unseen, more invisible aspects of the beautiful game. Um, we're diving into penalty shootouts, and I've actually, I've just wrapped up watching uh, a brilliant shootout between Chelsea and Liverpool, in which Kepa Arizabalaga, uh, Still, I think he was still playing. In, he, he thought he was still playing goalkeeper because he just, he just launched the ball destined for Romelu Lukaku, 70 yards away. Turns out he was just shooting from 12 yards out. I don't know if you got the memo. Um, but before we dive into anything related to penalty shootouts, let me first just say how thrilled I am to have each and every one of you back here in uh, in the friendly confines of, of breaking the lines of the tactics room um, for another episode. If you are a returning listener, first of all, welcome back. So happy to have you. Missed you. It's been a while, but knew you wouldn't leave our side. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. Welcome to the crew. Welcome to the always growing fan base of this platform and of this podcast. So happy to have you. Better late than never. And hopefully you enjoy what you hear over the next... I always, I always try to guess how long this is going to be. I'll say 40 minutes. Over the next 40 minutes, hopefully you'll enjoy uh, you'll enjoy what you hear. Go ahead, and if you do enjoy, be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Now that that housekeeping is out of the way, uh, let's talk about them. Let's talk about penalty shootouts because it feels like we've seen a lot of them recently from, as I mentioned, the AFCON final between Senegal and Egypt to the match that we just watched between Chelsea and Liverpool to Braga's win over Sheriff Tiraspol in the Europa League. Penalty shootouts have been in the limelight over the last month or so. And they're so neat, aren't they? Penalty shootouts are so neat because, in theory, on paper, they're not supposed to be hard. It's the most basic action that any footballer can carry out. You place the ball on the spot and you kick it at an almost open goal with no defenders in front of you. It's one of the first things you learn when you start to play the game at a young age, kicking the ball without defenders, uh, marking you from close in. You're, you're, you're shooting at a goal that only has a goalkeeper standing in it. It should be no problem for anyone who's talented enough to reach the professional levels. Now, obviously, we know that not to be the case for a number of reasons. The first is mathematically, eventually somebody has to miss, right? Every uh, hot take, every penalty shootout in history, in history, has ended, unless there's one ongoing right now, which means that at least one person has failed to find the back of the net. And obviously, goalkeepers have something to say about it as well. They're not just mannequins sitting in the goal frame, and every now and then they they make a play too. So first is mathematically, obviously, every shootout has to come to an end. But the other reason, and I think the more prevalent reason, is that shootouts are more than just kicking and scoring. There's more at play. 
and it goes way deeper than a player's innate footballing ability. There's psychological influences, there's neurological, physiological factors at play that affect a player's performance in moments like shootouts. They're not robots, they have emotions. And there are some emotions that are only uncovered under the spotlight of a, a match-deciding and sometimes cup-deciding penalty shootout. Um, as predated, though, as the structure of a shootout is, you're putting the ball on the spot and kicking and scoring or you're not scoring. It's so predated, but it's one of the only things you can't fully replicate on a practice pitch. And that's what makes him so interesting. That's what makes him so, so unique is that it's impossible to replicate, to fully replicate a penalty shootout in training. And the reason behind that is the most influential forces in a shootout are the ones that aren't created by physically kicking the ball or scoring or making a save. The most influential forces in a shootout are the ones that are created by a packed venue or the pressure of a cup final. These are psychological influences and psychological factors that can't be duplicated until you're actually in the moment. And as I mentioned, players are human. They're not robots. These are things that affect them no matter how, how weathered they are, no matter how seasoned they are. Everybody is affected by by those influences that you can't recreate, that you can't artificially make up. You have to be in the moment to fully understand what it's like to perform in a penalty shootout. And the fact that we see long-term trends emerge in shootouts, players that consistently score from the spot, nations that can't win a shootout to save their lives, position groups that perform inherently better, might just be a coincidence um, granted, it's a nearly mathematically impossible one at that, given the amount of data that, that we've gathered, that sports scientists, sports psychologists have gathered. It could be a coincidence that we see these trends emerge, but what's more likely is that we can map these psychological factors to really understand the anatomy of a penalty shootout and figure out why some players miss when other players score. And that is the goal of today's episode to go underneath the hood, to go behind the curtain, and try to explain why shootouts can't just be described as kicking a ball from 12 feet out. It's a little bit different from what we've done in the past, but it will be a ton of fun. So let's jump right into it. I've got, th th I think this is the most notes that I've ever taken for a podcast episode, and it's pages. There there's so much on the screen, and I hope I get to all of it in a timely fashion. But it's all interesting stuff, and it was a lot of fun to research, and I hope it's equally as fun for you to to hear and to to learn from, essentially, because br brilliant research done by people infinitely smarter than I am, that's who we're going to look at for today. So let's let's knock one thing out of the way right off the bat, and that is that there is evidence that individual penalties are not just luck-based crapshoots. Take that notion that it's a, a, a coin flip and punt it out the window because it's not true, and we know this. Researchers, sports scientists, sports psychologists, so many people who've been around the game and who have dived into the inner workings of the game have studied penalty shootouts in some of the world's biggest tournaments, Euros, World Cups, Copa Americas, Champions League Finals, and trends have emerged that show certain traits lead to better outcomes. So before we even dive into any psychological stuff, let's discuss some of those traits, and then maybe we'll try to, to, to bridge the two together, understand why certain things lead to different results. Uh, this was done by Gears Roday in 2009. Brilliant, brilliant sports psychologist. Also a good follow on Twitter. Um, a lot of the data that I've plucked for this episode is from Gears Roday's work, um, and it, it 
tries to break down the 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 shootout process beginning to end, but specifically the the little cues. It, it breaks a shootout or an individual penalty into five or six different parts, and that includes the walk to the spot, how long uh, you you take to place the ball on the spot, the the walk back, the wait until the whistle, the run up, everything. He he just he dissects everything and times it. And we're going to try to use that data to understand what leads to better conversion rates. The first thing that we're going to look at is that run-up. Um, it, it's kind of an underrated part of the, the penalty-taking process. It's not something you're actively engaged in unless you're a player like Jorginho or Bruno Fernandes who take that, that hop, skip, and a jump, essentially, and they do something that catches your eye. But the run-up has proven to be crucial. Players with short run-ups, when the referee signals which short run-up by definition of the study was less than 1.7 seconds, over 90% conversion compared to players with longer run-ups, only 63%. That's a 27% swing, just depending on, on how long you take in your run-up from the referee's whistle to you striking the ball. We'll dissect a little bit further why that might be the case. Um, Jordi also found players who begin their run-up immediately after the referee blows his whistle are at a severe disadvantage. Those who start immediately, less than two-tenths of a second, just 57%. And the best performing group, this was split into five different time intervals. That was the worst performing of the five, that shortest time frame. The best performing group was the longest time frame, over 1.1 second, 81%. 57% versus 81. That's a 24% swing just based on how long you wait after the referee blows his whistle. There's a fantastic theory, a fantastic psychological theory that dives into why that might be the case. We'll discuss it in a little bit. By the way, these stats are consistent with AFCON 2022 as well, per Gareth Jordan's Twitter, but also uh, just from, from watching and understanding and timing it yourself. These are things that are consistent with recent penalty shootouts. Um, players, th this one wouldn't surprise me a little bit, but it's one that I want to bring up. Players who take a long time to put the ball on the spot do incrementally better. That shortest time window, 59%, and then it went up, 65%, 73%, 78%, and then it dovetailed back down to 71%, but that 71 is still 13% better than that shortest time frame of 58.8%. So these stats show us that maybe there is a method to the madness, and this is not just some isolated 15-kick penalty shootout uh, data pool. This is across 200-plus shootouts, in some or 200 plus penalties, excuse me, in some of the biggest shootouts in international and club football. So this is across across continents because this plucks data from Afcon, from Euros, from Copa America, from the World Cup, and these are consistent. And this shows us that maybe there is a method to the madness. Maybe there are certain decisions in the penalty taking process that create an environment in which the player is more or less likely to score. Um, there are other track records prior to, of course, the World Cup in 2018. England had a horrendous track record in penalty shootouts. Coincidentally, maybe maybe coincidence, maybe more than that, they have the shortest wait time of Europe's eight most decorated national teams. As we mentioned, those nations, that are, those players with shorter wait times performed uh, infinitely worse. I keep using infinitely. It's not the right word to use. It's a, it's a word that I'm, I'm so used to using, infinitely, to convey... Uh, you know, absoluteness, I guess. Um, but infinitely better or worse, that's not uh, the, the case with these. It's 24% worse, specifically players with short run-ups versus players with long ones. So keep that in mind throughout this episode. Keep that in mind that there are certain traits and certain attributes that 
over a long-term study and over over tournaments and continents, these certain things tend to lead to more effective penalty taking in the long term. Um, also keep in mind, as we jump into this next segment, which discusses more about, about specifically the mental side of the game and rushing your kick, all the pressure is on the kickers in a penalty shootout. And I'm sure that's something that that, that is, is common knowledge at this point. Goalkeepers tell you that, players tell you that. But it's true. All the pressure is on the players taking the penalties. That's been reported countless times by current pros, former pros, journalists. They face the, the reason why is because they face the bulk of the psychological obstacles because they have more to lose. It's true. You you, you listen to an interview with a goalkeeper and they discuss, oh, what's more difficult, making a save in open play or making a save in a penalty? And the answer is what's more difficult than making a save in open play because a goalkeeper is not inherently expected to make a penalty save. If they make a penalty save, fantastic, awesome. It, it's, a, it's a spectacular moment in a penalty shootout. But nobody, well, rarely is a goalkeeper a scapegoat in a penalty shootout. And that is why the pressure is on the players kicking the ball because they're the ones that are expected to succeed. They are expected to score. And when you hear that, it might be unsurprising to learn that when players were quizzed and interviewed on the emotion that they feel most during a penalty shootout, the one that was the most reported was anxiety. Anxiety is unsurprisingly the most reported emotion that players feel right before they're about to take a penalty. And at surface, it might seem backwards. It should be easy taking a penalty because, as we said, all you're really doing, right, is kicking a ball at a goal from 12 yards out with no defenders in front of you. But this is where it, it we start to get into that gray area of how tricky it is to replicate, to fully replicate a penalty shootout scenario and why it's so much different from open plays because oftentimes the magnification of the moment caused by the spotlight and in most cases the gravity of the situation because shootouts decide elimination matches that that magnification of the moment causes players to think too hard about the simple action of taking a penalty which is why coaches and players will always say that it's impossible to fully replicate a penalty shot in practice and why even though Ederson might be the best penalty taker at Manchester City training which we hear <laughs> coming out of that camp frequently, you will never see Ederson take one in an actual match just because of how different it is in practice versus in a match. There's a theory behind this. This is not just me talking out of my ass. There's a theory behind why it's inherently more difficult to score in a real shootout than in an artificial one, and it's called the explicit monitoring hypothesis. It's something that everyone experiences, whether you're taking a penalty in a Champions League final or doing anything else that requires your subconscious to complete a task. The explicit monitoring hypothesis, it provides a scientific description for what we more colloquially refer to as choking. It's stress-induced, and it's actively thinking about the simple functions involved with completing a task, ones that, in, in a more, more familiar environment, in a more casual environment, might actually be performed automatically and subconsciously. But because of the stress being induced by the situation... It removes that autonomous nature of the function, and it forces us to dedicate more brain power to actively thinking about when and how to fulfill a task. Essentially, it takes this thing that should be automatic, and now you're focusing on every single little step, every single plot point in the process, which in turn uh, lessens your, your ability to succeed at completing 
the given task. It's performance killing, it's anxiety induced, and it's a theory which explains why it's only present in real shootouts because what the, the stimulus behind it is that pressure, it is that gravity, it is, it is those factors that are only created by a packed venue, which obviously aren't there if you're taking penalties in practice. It explains why it's only present when you're actually taking a penalty in a game, and it's a theory that suggests why it's so much different, penalty taking in practice versus penalty taking. Explicit monitoring hypothesis is a theory that was discussed by Roy Bomeister in 1997, saying, quote, this theory suggests that this causes self-regulatory breakdown. Essentially, the, the, these regulating autonomous processes that break down under this, this spotlight caused by the pressure where the thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are self-altered, causing the inability to control impulses and direct behavior to achieve goals. And another byproduct of this is it leads to an escape response, the, the desire to complete a task more quickly. And if you think about those, those statistics from earlier, it makes a lot of sense. It explains why maybe players who take more time to put the ball on the spot perform better, or why players who wait longer after the referee's whistle perform better because the ones who take less time to put the ball in the spot, the ones who take less time after the whistle to complete their penalty, maybe it's not so much them being about business and it's more about that subconscious escape response being triggered by this explicit monitoring hypothesis, this self-regulatory breakdown, this desire for the moment to be over. This is also from, from that Bomeister paper in 1997, quote, our findings are also in line with the hypothesis of choking as a case of self-regulatory breakdown where it is argued that performers under high levels of threat and emotional distress, makes sense given the, the nature of a penalty shootout, sometimes primarily focus on obtaining relief and escape from the unpleasant states. The extremely short times that the penalty kickers occasionally impose on themselves may reflect such a desire to end the situation as quickly as possible. Again, potentially referencing why those stats from earlier may be the case. That short preparation times can be a reaction to the distress of penalty shootouts is also indirectly supported in statements obtained by elite soccer players in their autobiographies. For example, from Gareth Southgate's book, quote, all I wanted was the ball, put it on the spot, get it over and done with. Chris Waddle said something similar back in 1997, quote, I just wanted it to be over. And that's from Gareth Jordan in 2009. The, these, these testimonies from athletes essentially, uh, it, not directly, indirectly supporting this hypothesis that maybe this this escape response being triggered by by this, as we said, self-regulatory breakdown has merit to it. This theory that under the bright lights of a penalty shootout, you start to break down and it leads to to this this escape, this desire for the moment to be over, which in turn, you're rushing to the ball quicker. You're taking less time to put the ball on the spot because you just want it to be over. Um, it provides a solid explanation on why players with shorter wait times and less time spent putting on the ball on the spot perform worse. But that's not where, where this theory ends. That's not where this discussion ends. Because what's interesting is that there are previous studies focused on these types of self-paced tasks. One that are, are, are carried out based on how fast the subject wants to carry them out. And a penalty shootout is a perfect example of that. Because although the kicker might not feel in control in the moment... It is entirely up to them how quickly or how slowly the penalty shootout goes. The kicker is, is under complete control timing-wise. They can control how fast their walk-up is. They can control how long they wait after the whistle. They can control how long their run-up is. And previous studies focusing on these types of self-paced tasks among athletes show that the longer an athlete takes, 
the worse the results. So it's backwards. There are reasons to, to, to assume why this instance is different, though, and they have merit to them, potentially because stress levels during high-pressure situations like a penalty shootout cannot be replicated artificially in a testing environment. It is possible that, that these findings still hold up, that shorter wait times lead to worse results, because a lot of these studies that have been done are, are, are completed by taking athletes into an artificial environment and asking them to complete the task as opposed to studying athletes in the more natural environment of a real penalty shootout. And in doing that, in creating that artificial testing environment, you're leaving out what we've been discussing as the most integral variable, which is that that pressure cooker of an arena, that, that, that weight on the shoulders is not present when you're artificially creating an environment in which you bring a professional athlete in and say, kick this penalty. It's a completely different study. Um, failing to take in that most influential variable, which is also coincidentally the only one that can't be replicated in an artificial testing setting. It also includes, and, and this is, is another, another interesting point, is those, those studies in the past, some of them involve actions that don't include a decision-making element. And what I mean by that is when you're taking a penalty, not only do you have to complete the action, but you've also got to make a decision where you're going to shoot. Do you go down the middle? Do you go into a corner, high, low? which is different from other studies that are often cited as a counter to these findings. And those studies included actions that don't necessarily have that extra decision-making element, things like putting, things like kicking a field goal, things like shooting a free throw. Those are very cut and dry, black and white, make it or don't make it instructions, actions. And they don't necessarily include that same element of decision-making that taking a penalty would. An extra layer of, of burden placed onto the shoulders of an athlete. So that's a bit of an explanation as to why these statistics might be the case, why there is extra merit to them. And it's not just, well, players get lucky, players don't get lucky. Sometimes they shoot and the goalie makes a great save. No, there are, there are these trends that emerge and there are reasons behind why these said trends might emerge. Um, there's another interesting stat that I want to discuss and dive into. Um, I found this from watching a video from Major League Soccer. It was a sit-down with Dr. Michael Hendry, a psychology professor at Southern New Hampshire University. He said, if the kick is to win the match in a penalty shootout, if you're in the fourth round, fifth round of penalties, and if the kick is to win the match, the conversion rate is 92%. It's about 12 out of 13. But if the kick is to keep the match going, in other words, if the kick is to prevent the team from losing, that number plummets to 60%. A 32% swing just because the kick is now in order to not lose as opposed to just to win. That is a study from Guillermo Jordi in 2007, which hints that maybe even more psychological factors are at play, but, uh, more specifically later in a penalty shootout than just the ones that directly explain choking. Not that it's one or the other, but rather they compound on each other. What this stat does, this, this winning versus not losing, 92% conversion rate to win the match, 60% conversion rate to not lose the match. It shows the discrepancy between doing something to win and doing something to not fail. It also could offer an explanation as to why teams that shoot first win more often. About 60% of the time they'll win compared to 40% the team that shoots second because they're the ones that more often find themselves kicking to win rather than kicking to not lose. 
It's, quote, more likely because of the increased pressure placed on the opposition penalty taker, who is more likely to know the actual consequence of a miss. That actual consequence being losing the match and subsequently potentially being eliminated from the competition that they're competing in. And this is a theory or a, a phenomena, I guess, more commonly known as, as loss aversion, which is actually an economic theory, but it can be applied to psychology as well. In both instances, kicking to win versus kicking not to lose, it's the same action. It's taking a penalty. There, there, there's not an alligator in between the ball and the goal when you're kicking not to lose. You're not blindfolded. You're not spinning in circles for 10 seconds. There's nothing added to that action that makes it inherently more difficult. It's just different connotations. And it, it describes this loss aversion theory that states that the brain views defeat disproportionately to a success of equal value. In, in Individually, each of those penalties, taking to win versus taking not to lose, the outcome, the, the, what would be defined as success, is exactly the same, making the penalty. But in that second hypothetical, where you're shooting also to not lose, there's an added layer, knowing that if you do miss, the consequences are more severe. And so when we say that the brain views defeat disproportionately to success of equal value, think losing $10 versus winning $10, the brain would rather, the brain views losing that money as more detrimental than it views winning that money as more beneficial, if that makes sense. I hope I conveyed that in an effective way. The stress and fear of losing something will dramatically influence someone's thoughts and behavior and actually outweigh the optimism that comes with that success, creates an environment in which the athlete cannot perform at peak levels. Again, this is an economic concept, loss aversion, but it's been proven in, in psychology as well, that added element. When you're shooting to win, that that immediate the, the, the knowledge of immediate defeat and what comes with that is not present because if you miss, the penalty shootout continues versus if you're, if you're kicking and it's the last kick of the match or if, if you know that if you miss, it's over, that added layer, it weighs down on you and based on the way that our brains are wired, that will take up the, the majority of where your focus is. It will not view it as 50-50, even though it may be such. Making versus missing, it's 50-50, but your brain will, will take that extra burden, that extra pressure of knowing, oh, if we, if I miss, then I lose. And it will view that less favorably than it would view making as more favorably. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I'm kind of tripping myself up, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that makes sense. Um, because that, that's something that we, that we see exposed in situations like the fifth or the sixth or the seventh round of a penalty shootout. So what are some ways to combat that? What are some ways to to eliminate that added layer of knowing, oh, God, if I miss, then we go home? Well, that is an, an added burden that is largely created, as we've been speaking about the entire episode, it's largely created by the moment, by the situation. And that, that moment is made so pressure-filled because of elements in the environment that the athlete can't control. And there are some that can't change. For example, if you're kicking in a final, you, you can't snap your fingers and suddenly you're playing in a quarterfinal or a group stage match or a preseason match. That will always be there. But there are other stimuli in that venue that you can't control, but you can still close yourself off to. For example, the crowd noise, 60,000 screaming supporters or other players, whether they're on your team or the other team that are, are jeering you or cheering you on. 
Those are stimuli that add to the environment that the player kicking cannot control and, and exposing yourself to them and letting them weigh on you as, as you're trying to take your penalty, that can add to the, the actively realizing what is at stake. So they say the best way to combat this, this, this don't lose mentality is by not turning your back on the goalkeeper. And you'll see some of the world's best penalty takers do this. Instead of putting the ball on the spot and turning around and facing the teams as they walk back to take their kick, what they'll do is they'll put the ball on the spot and they'll pace backwards. They'll stay looking at the goalkeeper. And obviously the goalkeeper has every right to try to get in the kicker's head as well. But by doing that, by focusing only on the ball, the keeper, and the goal, you're activating your tunnel vision. You're only focusing on those three elements, yourself, the keeper, and the goal. You're forgetting, in theory, you can't completely forget, but in theory, you're, all, all of those other stimuli, all those other things that we discussed, the, the pressure, the, the screaming supporters, the teams, the coaches, everything in the environment, in theory, is not eliminated because that would be impossible, but it's minimized when you're diverting your attention only to what's directly in front of you, and that's significantly easier when you're not turning your back and exposing yourself to everything else. You're only focusing on what you're staring at and truthfully, in that moment, what's important. Um, there's another theory behind choking. We already spoke, of course, about the explicit monitoring hypothesis, but there's also choking via distraction, which offers a good explanation as to why this may be the case. This theory for choking that is stimulated by everything going on around you rather than the action itself. It's called choking via distraction. And it's all of those things you, you acknowledge and you give attention and they take up space in your, your active thought process, for lack of a better term. I know that's not very scientific or, or psychological, but all of these things occupy a little bit of space in, in what you're actively thinking about. And it doesn't allow you to focus on the action itself on needing to step up and take the penalty. And again, players aren't robots. These are things that that players still deal with and, and players have testified to dealing with this difficulty to put all of that stuff aside. Because at the end of the day, it is so much easier said than done. I can sit here in front of a microphone and say, well, don't turn around. Don't listen to the fans. I've never been inside a screaming Wembley Stadium with with the fate of the tournament at my feet. So it, it's easier to it's easier said than done. But players will say the same thing: the importance of being able to activate that tunnel vision, pay attention only to the ball and the keeper. Because once you start, or, or once a player starts to acknowledge all of those other things, they're focusing less on what they have to do, and it's a lot easier to be distracted by those things if you're not at your peak performance, if you're feeling too anxious, if you're acknowledging the gravity of the situation, these things all just compound on each other. So um, what have we done so far? Two, two theories regarding choking, explicit monitoring hypothesis, and choking via distraction. We've discussed loss aversion. We've discussed how the brain views loss disproportionately to success of equal value. Um, so we've discussed some of these psychological factors at play, but what about ways to combat them? Uh, because there's been a lot of a lot of research done on on these psychological pulls and, and influences in a penalty shootout, but there's also been plenty of research done on what these players can do about, and that is an important thing for players to know because at the end of the day, players do report having a perceived lack of self control during a shootout. It's bolstered by 
fans, journalists, and passersby referring to shootouts as, quote, a crapshoot, a coin flip, one that is no more reliable than saying heads or tails. Um, and whether it's a shootout or, or a job interview or anything, lower self-control, feeling like you're not as in control as you want to be, always links to higher anxiety levels. That's just the nature of the way that we think. And because, as we mentioned, the kickers, the players that are taking the penalties, are the ones that are faced with the bulk of the pressure during a shootout, they're the ones that are affected by the conditions the most. There's a fantastic story um, that Jimmy Carragher tells. I forget where I heard this or where I saw it, but um, it, it's it's a brilliant story, and, and it perfectly illustrates how, how, how much different players' performances can be when they feel in control versus when they don't feel in control. So Jimmy Carragher was stepping up to take a penalty in a cup final. He, he takes his first one, feeling full of confidence. He knows where he wants to go. He knows what his job is. He steps up, he takes a penalty, he scores. Simple as that. Jimmy Carragher, a defender, not somebody who's used to scoring goals, but this is a player who stepped up, knew what he wanted to do, took his penalty, and scored. The referee blows it off. The referee says that, that for whatever reason, the penalty doesn't count. Jimmy Carragher is forced to shoot again. Well, shit, what do I do next? I, I had one plan when I stepped up to the penalty spot. It was to shoot here and score, and I did that. Now I'm stepping up, and I have to retake. The goalkeeper knows where I want to shoot. Do I go to the same spot? Do I shoot in a different direction? Now, all of a sudden, he's got no idea what he wants to do. He feels out of control because his one tactic has now been exposed to the keeper because of the goal being whistled off. So he steps up for a second penalty, his redo, and he misses. And, and he attributes that to the fact that he wasn't feeling as in control as he was on his first try. And, and there are obvious mathematical implications that, that need to be discussed in this story as well. Like a kicker is more likely to save the second try versus the first try just because they've seen what the player wants to do the first time. Um, but Jimmy Carragher attributed to him not feeling as in control in the situation during his second penalty that he did in his first penalty. And, and this is not an isolated incident. It's not an isolated phenomenon. Players like to feel in control, especially when they're doing something as significant as kicking in a penalty shootout. Um, sometimes to, to achieve that, to achieve that in control feeling, players will look at the goalkeeper to intimidate them or to show off this fearless persona. But there was actually a study done by John Vanderkamp that showed the exact opposite in 2011. A player's conversion rates significantly decreased when a player's focus was on the opposing keeper. It was, it was better to focus on the ball or on a corner because keepers, as we mentioned, are not mannequins. They will have their own tactics to try to get into the head of a kicker. And John Vanderkamp showed through a study that actually players who focus on the keepers perform uh, significantly worse. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a kicker should pick a spot and not change because, as we know, and, and that's what Carragher did, but that was that was years and years ago, and tactics behind penalty shootouts have changed significantly since then. Um, I mean, I, I think we all know by now that, that picking a spot and not changing, saying, I'm going to go bottom left and shoot bottom left, um, it is somewhat archaic at this point because there are penalty takers who make a living off of implementing unique elements in their run-up and then finding which way the goalie will lean and then shooting opposite. So, there are, are, are not as many penalty takers who walk up to a spot 
already knowing where they're going to shoot. Um, but control can still be gained in other ways, both psychologically and physiologically. The physiological side of a penalty shootout, we haven't spoken about much. That's more related to the physical as opposed to the mental. Uh, but there are cues in both that can allow a player to feel more in control. Um, psychologically, things like doing the same thing every single time. It doesn't help the ball physically go into the back of the net, of course. But those tiny cues, like which foot to step backwards with, breathing after the referee's whistle, th- those those actions that you can put to memory and repeat little things like that become familiar cues for a player and actually make them feel more comfortable in the environment because it's not completely foreign. It's not everything is, is things that they haven't experienced yet. And and again, am I saying that, that the the same walk up routine means that you're going to perform infinitely better or stepping back with your left as opposed to your right is going to lead to this massive increase in, in how many penalties you score? Well, maybe, maybe not, but what is, undeniable is that having those things, having those elements of familiarity, having those things that you can really just put to memory and and feel familiar in environments as unfamiliar as a penalty shootout in a World Cup final, uh, do make a player feel more comfortable and it feels like they have something that they can control. It's no surprise that some of, of the best penalty takers in the world use essentially the exact same routine. And there are reasons why or why not. For example, I already spoke about Jorginho and Bruno Fernandes, two brilliant penalty takers. They've got those unique elements in their routine, right? They've both got that little hop that gets the goalkeeper to lean. But it's also an element that they don't take out. It's an element that they rarely ever change. And it's partly because they want to know where a goalkeeper is going to go. But it's also, I would assume, I haven't spoken to them, but based on on, on long-term research, you would assume that that's because they feel more comfortable. It's something that they can control and they feel more like they're, they're, they're leading in the situation. We see, we've heard Harry Kane speak about how he keeps his run up exactly the same every single time. Harry Kane is as, almost as automatic as they come from the penalty spot, a player who will put this, this run up routine to memory. So he feels more familiar, but also so the goalkeeper can't spot anything at all different that, that will cause Kane to tip off which direction he's going in. So doing things like that serve multiple purposes. They serve a purpose to, to allow the player to feel more comfortable, but also it makes it more difficult for the goalkeeper to guess which way they're going to go. Because we see we see penalty takers all the time uh, t- tip things off, and obviously goalkeepers study which direction players are going to go in, especially for penalty shootouts. But some of the best takers in the world do the exact same every single time. Um, in that same video, there was a, an interview with a, a confidence coach, a, a football confidence coach, and it, it may sound cliche, but it, it is just as important. That positive reaffirmation, the affirmation and reaffirmation perspective is so crucial. And again, easier said than done, but we've heard quotes from players like Gareth Southgate, Glenn Hoddle, Jimmy Carragher, the, the, the pessimistic side of taking a penalty of, of stepping up from 12 yards out and converting in a shootout. You've also got the other side, players like Matt Letizia, who has scored 47 out of his 48 Premier League penalties. He said, quote, I can make the stadium erupt. He has stepped up to the spot in, with, with, with this, this sense of optimism, this if I score, then this place will go nuts, versus players like Gareth Southgate, who stepped up to the spot and said, just put it on the spot, get it over and done with. I want to be out of the situation and back with my team. So again, it sounds a bit cliche. It sounds easier said than done. But that sense of positive reaffirmation for a player as they're taking the penalty, reportedly can do absolute wonders. So that's 
penalty taking from a kicker's point of view. We've discussed a lot of different things, but there's one phrase that we haven't mentioned yet, which is, for, for me, it's the bottom line. And it, it's a concept called optimal anxiety. It's when you're locked in, the more, the more colloquial way to, to describe that. Are players reaching, or are players already approaching optimal anxiety before they even begin their walk to the spot? What optimal anxiety is, it's, it's this anxiety sweet spot for athletes in which alertness and performance can be optimized. A person feels enough pressure, a kicker feels enough pressure and feels enough anxiety to understand the importance of preparing and performing well, but it's not so much pressure and so much anxiety that it's crippling, that they can't focus on the task at hand. Um, this is a, a concept studied pretty consistently by, by a psychologist and the, the graph looks like an upside down U, right? It's over on the the where the X and Y axis meet, it's down at zero because if you're not feeling any anxiety, then it seems backwards. But if you're feeling no anxiety at all, then you won't perform at peak levels and it starts to, to climb and then crest at that what we call optimal anxiety level. And then once you're at that that top, it'll it'll start to come back down. It's an upside down U with the the with the Y axis being performance levels and the X axis being the amount of anxiety that a player is feeling. Moderate, it's, it's not no anxiety levels are required, but actually moderate levels of, of that, that pressure, that anxiety is required for a player to perform at peak conditions. And the reason why is because anxiety is, is actually, it, our, our brains and our bodies over hundreds of years, actually it, it was developed to keep us safe. Anxiety is a strength. It's not a weakness. It makes us wary of uncertain conditions. It's a defense mechanism designed to protect us when we feel unsafe or unprotected. And when it's channeled, it's a wildly beneficial tool. And a complete lack of it, as we've discussed in certain situations, is not just abnormal because you're, you're human and you feel this anxiety. It's a natural part of life, but it's also a weakness. It's it, it's a weakness to not be able to feel anxiety at all because without anxiety, you don't feel pressure and pressure is in moderation, a, a crucially important stimulus for a player to, to succeed. But it is important to find that middle ground and, and studies, as we mentioned, suggest that there is a quote, optimal anxiety level at which athletes perform at their best, it's just enough anxiety to feel the pressure to perform and to understand the importance of preparation, but not so much that it's crippling and impedes motor skills. So when you're thinking about, about a player stepping up to the spot, when you're thinking about the concept and the anatomy of a penalty shootout from a kicker's point of view, um, remember that that level, that optimal anxiety level is where you want to be as an athlete, that I don't feel that 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 spot in between I feel nothing and I feel too much is where players like to be in order to perform at their peak levels. Um, now, that is all well and good for kickers in a penalty shootout. But how about the goalkeepers as well? How can goalkeepers affect and conversely, how are they affected by a penalty shootout? Because although they are not exposed to as much pressure as a kicker is, they are not robots either. They are not mannequins. They they feel the same thing that a player feels. They are in the same environment that a player is in. So how can a goalkeeper affect and how are they affected by the the multiple different factors imposed 
by a penalty shootout. Um, there's one really interesting psychological factor that I want to, to discuss with goalkeepers that kind of gets in the way of, of their judgment and their decision-making process. Because remember, kickers have a decision to make with what direction they're going to go. Goalkeepers also have that same decision. What direction are they going to dive? And this, this factor, this, this concept that gets in the way of, of a goalkeeper's decision-making process, it's called action bias. Action bias is the preference of action over inaction, even if the most likely successful outcome derives from staying down the middle, which, spoiler alert, it actually does. And the reference point for this action bias, it's how, how will the keeper feel after. And again, we discussed this as the preference of action over inaction. A goalkeeper would rather dive for a ball down the middle and miss than stay standing for a ball placed to the left or to the right and miss. And the reason for this is, is goalkeepers will conflate staying down the middle with inaction because they haven't moved. They haven't dived in a certain direction. No movement from the goalkeeper's behalf and the shot goes in into a corner, they'll say, why didn't you move? If, if a goalkeeper dives and the shot goes in a different direction or if it goes on the middle, they'll say, well, quote, at least you did something. What the, the inherent flaw in that line of thinking is that staying down the middle is just as much an action, is just as much a decision as diving in one direction. But the brain confuses that for inaction because the body didn't physically move, even if a decision was made. And that's where action bias comes into play. It's the preference of action over inaction. The preference of moving for a ball, as opposed to not moving, even if, as you mentioned, not moving leads to the, the highest percentage of penalties saved. That stat, by the way, is according to Scout. They went and they just did a whole friggin' case study on, on a whole bunch of penalties and and pumped out a whole a whole plethora of numbers. And one of the many was that goalkeepers save the most penalties when they stay down the middle. Um, this is an issue unique to goalkeepers. Action bias is something that only affects the goalkeepers. And the reason why it only affects goalkeepers and not kickers is because regardless of what the, the penalty taker does, even if the penalty taker does go down the middle, they've performed a clear action. They've kicked the ball. They, they've they've made a decision that's led to a physical output. The only way that a penalty taker can achieve inaction in this hypothetical would be if they chose not to kick the ball at all, which, as I'm sure we're all familiar, is not allowed. If it was allowed, then there would be some obscenely long penalty shootouts that are still going on today, um, which, as we mentioned, there's not. Every single penalty shot in history has come to an end, believe it or not. So... That's why this action bias, this this influence is only one that affects uh, the goalkeepers is because a goalkeeper would rather dive to a direction and miss than stand still because in, in, in the mind of, of a goalkeeper and, and the way this action bias is explained is you would rather move and miss than stay still and miss and ask yourself questioning what if when the reality is that staying down the middle is just as much a decision as diving left or diving right, even if you haven't actually moved so that it, it conflates not diving with inaction when in reality those two things are not synonymous from the perspective of a goalkeeper during a penalty shootout um what else can can goalkeeper more specifically what can goalkeepers do to affect penalty shootouts because as we mentioned the best way to block out 
the the all all the uncontrollable stimuli for for a penalty taker is to stare at the goalkeeper. But the goalkeeper is well within his or her right to do something to get in the head of the penalty taker. Um, one thing, and this is an interesting study performed by John Vanderkamp in 2007, is a goalkeeper is actually able to access a kicker's subconscious. And they can do that by standing slightly offset. And this is like a FIFA trick. This is something that I do in FIFA, FIFA Ultimate Team at, in, in, in seasons and all that. So if you play against me, um, I'm, I'm revealing to you my, my number one trick for penalties. Um, but if a kicker, uh, if a goalkeeper stands slightly offset, they're able to access the kicker's subconscious and it tips off to the kicker, the penalty taker, that there's more room to the other side and it makes it more likely that they'll shoot there even if they haven't actively considered, oh, there's more space over on the right. I'm going to kick over to the right. It, it's a completely subconscious automated process in the mind of the penalty taker, acknowledging there's more room on one side and kicking to that side. So a goalkeeper can stand slightly offset, not so much that the the penalty taker sees that and says, oh, they're, they're not standing in the center, but just enough that, that it activates their subconscious and says, I'm going to go shoot in that direction. The sweet spot Vanderkamp found was about 6 to 10 centimeters. Offset from the center is enough to access the penalty taker's subconscious without getting them to actively realize that the kicker is, or that the goalkeeper is not standing um, in the center. The way the study was conducted was uh, by bringing people into this artificial setting. Um, in an instance like this one, it's perfectly okay because you're not measuring stress levels or... or, or or anxiety-induced performance-based numbers. Instead, you're you're just testing to see if if people will realize that the keeper is standing offset. Um, it, it, there were a number of different rounds, but the one that was most interesting was there was a round where a keeper was standing, sometimes slightly offset, sometimes well offset, and the the penalty takers were asked to only shoot when they felt that the goalkeeper was standing in the middle. So it did two things. The first thing it did was uh, discern how close to the center does a goalkeeper need to be without being at the center for a player to subconsciously think that the player, that the goalkeeper is standing in the center. By telling the penalty takers to only kick when the goalkeeper, when they think the goalkeeper is standing in the center, tells you how far away the goalkeeper can stand until somebody realizes, oh, they're not standing in the middle. The other thing it did was measure if that actually means anything. If a goalkeeper standing slightly offset actually means that the person taking the penalty will shoot to the, quote, more open side more. And what Vanderkamp found was that they do. This is a tactic that is not just used in these artificial laboratories. This is a tactic that is used in the run of play. Uh, Vanderkamp found that keepers during penalty shootouts stood marginally off center, that, that six to 10 centimeters range, stood marginally off center on 96% of occasions. 96% of penalties that Vanderkamp studied the keeper was standing marginally off center. Now, were all of them intentional? Maybe, maybe not. It's difficult for a keeper to acknowledge this is exactly in the middle, um, but it would be naive to assume that at least some, if not most of those instances were intentional to convince the penalty kicker's subconscious to shoot in a different direction and then for the keeper to dive in that direction. There are ways that goalkeepers can impact penalty shootouts more than just standing in the frame of the goal 
and diving left to right or staying down the middle and making saves as evidenced through the, this research done by, by John Vanderkamp through this sit down with Dr. Michael Hendry, the, the MLS video, Hendry, the psychology professor at Southern New Hampshire. Um, really, really intriguing stuff regarding how, you know, the, the, the common conception of, of a penalty shootout is that, Oh, you just, you line your players up and shoot. And, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but it really is so, so much more than that. And it's, it's really a, a it's one of the the interesting phenomena of the game is this this on paper simple action why is it so difficult a and why is it so difficult to replicate b and and the reason is because it is so much more than just flipping a coin and and taking a penalty it's so much more is in play that players don't actually deal with until they're actively in the environment that that creates these these stimuli that creates these factors um so much more than just kicking the ball from 12 yards out penalty shootouts they're every bit as much a psychological chess match that, that, that i think that's the phrase i'm going to use penalty shootouts are a psychological chess match and they're every bit as much a psychological chess match as they are a football display even and you know what not 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 even especially if it involves the most basic action that a footballer can carry out putting the ball down kicking it with no defenders in the way. And while it's one of the easiest things to replicate a penalty shootout, it's one of the most difficult to understand. But I hope this episode made some headway in explaining at least some of it. Um, That will do it for episode 13, I think this is, episode 13. Um, Thank you so much for listening. First and foremost, if if they're listening, I don't know why they would, but thank you to uh, specifically the people whose 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 research I referenced in an episode like this one. I know it's been a while since you've heard from me, but that's because this is a project that I was spending a lot of time on. Names like Geyer Jorday, uh, John Vanderkamp, um, Michael Hendry, uh, so many people who, whose, whose research and studies were referenced in an episode like this one. Um, and I, I tried to reference as frequently as possible throughout, but uh, all of the stuff that I used uh, on this episode, I will leave in the description below all of all of the links. Consider it a works cited. All of that stuff will be down there. Um, this episode is not possible without the work conducted and carried out by them for the last two and a half decades. So um, definitely check out all of that stuff if you're interested in more content like this. Obviously, 55 minutes is not enough time to dive into every single psychological factor and and effect and impact that that. Uh, gets in the way of a penalty shootout. There is so much more at play. Um, I think if I had another six months and another three hours of, of airtime, I would, <laughs> I would take it. But uh, that's obviously not the, the reality of the situation. So I hope, I hope, I hope that everybody who listened to episode 13 of the Tactics Room did learn something really intriguing topic that is again in the news cycle because of what just happened with Chelsea and Liverpool, but something that we've been exposed to quite frequently over the last two or three months. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WillFowler5. Follow uh, the Tactics Room on Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, not Tactics Room. Follow Rick the Lions on Twitter at BTLVid. And uh, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts at as well. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, gosh, a whole bunch of others that I probably should know that I don't. Um, Anchor, I think, we're on. 
but all of those, wherever you get your podcasts from, go ahead and subscribe so you don't lose a single one because it's not just us here at the Tactics Room. There's a whole wealth of, uh, of, of podcasts on this BTL network. Every single one of them is worth diving into and worth listening to if you want your knowledge of the game to be developed. Uh, so check out all of our podcasts here at Breaking the Lines. Follow us on Twitter and do not miss episode 14 of the Tactics Room. It will be a week from today. I am thinking that I'm going to discuss one of football's academies that doesn't get as much love because of another academy in the same league that gets all the plaudits, but they've been pumping out some pretty impressive talents on their own. So should be a fun episode 14 if you want to stick around and wait for it. But until then, thank you so much for listening. You've been tuning in to the Tactics Room Podcast presented by Breaking the Lines.